0: we've inherited sort of this worldview from previous generations of the women's movement and feminism that have held up this ideal of success as the ultimate thing that a woman is striving for. You know, that she's going to be happiest and healthiest sort of if she's able to achieve uh, this success standard, whatever that is. And we've seen the body as a barrier to that success. Dear Jane, the life-giving podcast.
1: Women are told that abortion is health care. They're told by some medical professionals that their natural maternal inclinations are wrong. Welcome to Dear Jane. I'm your host, Scott Baker. Some women are led to believe that they're outliers or strange when it comes to family planning. Our guest today says it's time for a new approach to women's health care. Leah Jacobson with the Guiding Star Project is trying to do just that. Leah, let's start by defining what you call holistic women's healthcare. What is it and what gaps are you trying to address?
0: Um, holistic women's healthcare, uh I'm really glad you asked that question to clarify it because I think a lot of people tend to think of of holistic health as more of this eastern sort of ideology, like holistic with an h, like holistic healthcare more of an more of an integrative or even alternative healthcare system, and that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about holism with a w, like whole In order for a human being to have uh, optimized health, we believe that there are multiple assets and facets uh, that need to be considered in terms of their their mind, their body, and their spirit. Uh, We don't exist in a vacuum. We have relationships. Our mental health matters. Our spiritual health matters. Our community of faith. Uh, But really what we do at Guiding Star when we talk about holistic health, we focus on integrating all the natural parts of a woman's physical body that she has an acceptance and a love for her natural physical body. So the feminine superpowers that we really cater to are ovulation, gestation, and lactation. Those are the three unique functions of a female body that can't really be replicated uh, outside of a a natural, healthy woman's system. And so we really focus on fertility awareness and natural childbirth practices and breastfeeding and helping women to see that. All of those are good functions. We can't just say breast is best in an isolated silo and then say, but you should shut down your fertility. No, like either my fertility is also good and my childbearing ability is also good uh, right alongside my breastfeeding. And there's been a real, um, almost a a kind of a, a very inconsistent view from a lot of modern healthcare providers on these functions of a female body that we think one is good and healthy but the others is totally fine to shut down or suppress. And that's just not realistic and it has uh, implications for women's health. So holistic feminism, holistic healthcare it focuses on let's make every woman naturally healthy and whole.
1: So I noticed a, a lot, you know, when on your website and even just hearing you you speak, you talk a lot about a woman's natural body, the natural occurrences How is that different than the normal healthcare that women find nowadays?
0: Well, yeah, it's very different, actually. And I think it's, you know, we've inherited sort of this worldview from previous generations of the women's movement and feminism that have held up this ideal of success or, you know, career or sort of achievement as the ultimate um, thing that a woman is striving for, you know, that she's going to be happiest and healthiest sort of if she's able to achieve uh, this success standard, whatever that is. And we've seen the body as a barrier to that success. And healthcare got right in line with that. It got right on board with that, that idea that the body is going to be a barrier of entry into you know the, the professional world, the, the educational world, the political world, whatever, all the different spaces that women may desire to express their creativity and unique genius. Healthcare affirmed that fertility and children uh, and breastfeeding and the natural female body are are going to be a disadvantage for you. So let's make your body act more like a man's. Um, so women, you know, at a very young age, we're told very young that our cycles, you know, I, we don't want any inconvenience here. Let's get you on the pill. Let's regulate this. Let's shut this all down. Let's make sure you don't get pregnant. Let's it's it's just a very masculine controlling approach to. It's the responsible thing to do. Let's control this and manipulate it. And we're not very comfortable with letting women's bodies do what they do on their own naturally. Uh,
1: Some people might say, okay, well, this is just an anti-contraceptive stance, but it sounds like it's deeper than that.
0: Oh, I think it's much deeper than that. I think the first place that most women really encounter this sort of worldview maybe is the issue of contraception. That might be the first time you really deal with a doctor or a healthcare provider or someone telling you that your body is not right. You know, it's this very subtle uh, implication that it's you somehow are not going to quite work out right. Let's get control of that. Like something about you is wrong. Healthcare, medicine, procedures, doctors, science, pharmaceuticals, we can save you. Like we can fix this, but it absolutely bleeds over into the childbirth movement, birth choice. I mean, we see extremely high rates of C sections and you know childbirth interventions that are not good for us. When we look at our birth, uh, you know, in our country, when we look at the rates of problems, we're much higher than most of the developed world um, with these issues. And so, in that, it again, it goes right into the very next feminine function of breastfeeding. We see a lot of breastfeeding failure in our country, which for a developed First world nation, like this should not be happening, you know, but it is because this worldview permeates that somehow our bodies are wrong. Somehow we're the problem and we need to fix it.
1: So what is the genesis of the breastfeeding issue and the problem that we have here in the country?
0: Well, breastfeeding is a fascinating one and um you know, I actually have my, my degree, my master's degree in women's health and wellness with a specialty in lactation. So I'm a board certified lactation consultant. So that's what I do in my spare time is, you know, I work with new breastfeeding moms. This is the one kind of feminine ability when we talk about ovulation, gestation, and lactation. Lactation is kind of the one case study that we should be looking at because in about the 1970s, we hit an all-time low for breastfeeding rates in our country. So only 24% of women even attempted to breastfeed in 1972. That's the height of the second wave of the feminist movement. That's, you know, right about the time that we're legalizing abortion on demand across our country. There was an incredible disconnect that women have with their bodies, their natural functions in their bodies. You can see that you know, abortion on demand becoming, and contraception becoming a norm, and breastfeeding being something you don't want to do. Like, there was just women at war with their bodies at that point. Well, thank goodness there was some pioneering work that had been done by, you know, grassroots movements, La Leche League, different mother peer-led breastfeeding movements where they realized there was research that proved um, that this was kind of a push of, you know, big, uh, not big pharma, in this case, it was big formula, you know, these, manufacturers of infant formula were making a lot of money off of women, not knowing how to breastfeed women, not trusting their bodies. And so uh, they began to really look at what are the effects on babies? Well, actually we've got an obesity epidemic. We've got allergies. We've got all these issues, uh, immunocompromised systems, um, all these problems. And so the research began to show conclusively that breast truly is best. This is what's best for babies. This is what's best for women. Uh, and so slowly, over the course of about thirty years, we got our government agencies got involved and got on the side of breastfeeding and began promoting it out at all levels of health within our government, um, culminating in two thousand and twelve with a Surgeon General's call to breastfeeding. That's a pretty monumental thing when the Surgeon General of the United States calls for women to breastfeed because it's for the health of the nation. so you can see that these sort of movements can shift from of women breastfeeding to now, I mean, we have an initiation rate close to 80% of all women because we defined breastfeeding as the healthy norm. And so when we look at things like contraception and abortion, we have a tremendous opportunity there to really highlight that this is not healthy. This is not good for women. And we can create an entire movement that can change everything in 40 years.
1: Let's talk about that, uh, specifically abortion. Uh, you know, a lot of the messaging now from the other side is abortion is healthcare, right? Uh, sure. You're you're in Minnesota, and I remember there was a Minnesota elected official who said earlier this year something. I'm paraphrasing, but only slightly. Um, carrying a baby to term is more risky than having an abortion, which yeah. is crazy talk. Um, but what women are hearing is that abortion is really the, the the best way to go for your body. How do we counter that?
0: Well, I think we got to break down that statement first of all, because if there's any ounce of truth in that would be the question needs to be, why is childbirth so dangerous? What have we done to childbirth to make this such an inherently dangerous thing? which I, I would say I had mentioned this earlier. Our birth outcomes are not great in our country. We have high maternal death. We have much higher maternal death outcomes in many first world countries. And how are we delivering healthcare to women in this way? Well, we're delivering it within a system that is telling us this is dangerous. Your body is going to have a problem with it. You can't give birth naturally. And so we're building the atmosphere where birth is legitimately seen as dangerous because women actually do die because of how we're delivering this service. So I, the whole system is a mess. It's absolutely a mess. And if we can just go back to this natural idea and mindsets of it takes a healthy body to get pregnant. It's an incredible accomplishment of a female body to get pregnant. We're gonna assume that this is gonna go fine. 95% of the time, birth does not need unnecessary interventions. We're gonna be beside you. We're gonna make sure you're not alone, but we believe you can do this. You're strong. That's an entirely different system than what we currently have.
1: Well, and that, yeah, and I want to touch on that a second. You're talking about how, how strong women are in, in feminism, and I want to get to that in just a second. But uh, what do you tell young women um, when they're facing a choice and they're, you know, they're hearing all of this uh, messaging inundation from the culture, uh, mm-hmm. but you're helping them understand the impacts of abortion and things like that? I mean, just help us sort of, how do you, how do you communicate with women the truth?
0: Yeah, always it starts with that kind of what I was just touching on a little bit was this approach of congratulations. Like, this is an accomplishment of your body. Like, it you don't maybe understand or appreciate in this moment what all just went right. But, you know, hormonally, chemically, all the things that had to go right for you to get pregnant. Congratulations. There are many women on this planet, thousands, millions of women who have tried for years and years to become pregnant that cannot. Like to try to give them a sense of that orientation. That yeah, this may be scary in this moment, but this is an incredible accomplishment. And to just have that little shift of, oh wow, I thought this was a problem. I thought this was an inconvenience. I didn't think this was an accomplishment. Um, sometimes is enough to kind of just put push pause on what is a crisis for a girl to you know and, and really just to have that confidence of saying, I believe in you. I'm confident that you can do this. I believe in your your body's ability. I believe that maybe the skills you lack right now, that you're capable of gaining them and that there's time and that we're going to be here to teach you. We believe in you.
1: We're going to take a break. When we come back, I want to talk about the true messages that feminism sends to young women. We'll do that in part two of our conversation with Leah Jacobson here on Dear Jane.
0: Jane, The Life-Giving Podcast.
1: In a world filled with conflicting views, there's a podcast that embraces unity and understanding. Welcome to Dear Jane, where pro-life leaders and people from all walks of life come together to discuss the most important conversation of our time. Join us as we delve into the complexities, challenge the status quo, and explore the diverse perspectives on the issue of life. Dear Jane hosts the hard conversations, asks the tough questions, and acknowledges our differences, all while keeping our shared beliefs in mind. Together, we seek understanding, foster compassion, and inspire change. Tune in to be a part of the dialogue that matters. Dear Jane, where open hearts lead to meaningful conversation. On this edition of People You Should Know, we introduce you to Sylvia Blakely, founder of Arise Daughter Ministry. Arise Daughter is a post-abortive ministry for women and men to heal through the expression of art. Sylvia came up with the idea after going through her own post-abortion recovery and realizing she wanted to keep it going.
2: I found that as I was completing um, you know, such an intensive community healing space, That I wanted to continue that. You know, there were some things that I still wanted to talk out, flesh out. There were some goals that I had set for myself that I hadn't quite met yet. And so I wanted to stay in touch with my healing community.
1: She soon found out she wasn't alone.
2: But I thought to myself, well, if I want to continue community after a healing, you know, an intensive healing process like what I'd been through, maybe other women would like to as well. So I attended several of the Support After Abortion early conferences that they put on. And I didn't really find anybody else in the space that I was hoping to occupy for God, which was a continuation of the healing community that starts so effectively after a healing program, but oftentimes can end sort of abruptly for a woman or a man after they've been through. And that could be a weekend retreat. It could be an eight-week healing study um, and so I or a self-study. So I just kind of wanted to be... That soft space uh, for people to land and have uh, support, continued mentoring um, onto their next, whatever that next could be for them.
1: Sylvia says Arise daughter provides participants with the opportunity to support each other as they each go through the healing process.
2: It's almost like a healing boarding house, I guess you could say, where you know people can do their own individual work. And certainly, I have my own room where I do con- you know continued work as well. But then we come together in this wonderful space once a month uh, at something we call our refresh meetings. And we have an opportunity to hear each other's trials and travails, speak life over one another, support each other's maybe new budding ministries that we uh, may have been called into ourselves. And we continue that through WhatsApp communication um, that may be usually typically daily. Um, And so women feel like they've got a sisterhood, especially
1: It became clear to Sylvia that expressive arts could be a possible outlet for people.
2: I just really love any of the uh, expressive arts. So, you know, uh, poetry, um, theater, any of that kind of thing. So I had an opportunity through um, an art facilitation course to kind of combine all of those things and get certified to do that. And so now two of my team members are also certified to use the arts to help people work through their trauma. And that can be episodic or it could be durational. In other words, it could be a uh, you know one-time thing or it could be something that people work on over time. But again, we have artists meetings once a month and we get a chance to share what it is God has placed on our heart to express.
1: If you'd like to learn more, you can visit AriseArtists.com.
2: Attention makers! Want to make a difference in the lives of abortion-minded women? Look no further than Choose Life Marketing the pro-life agency dedicated to spreading messages of hope and love. With expert services in web design, digital marketing, fundraising, and branding, DLM helps you reach those who need it most and provide them with life-affirming alternatives. Choose Life Marketing is your ally in the fight for life, empowering you to make a lasting impact and change hearts one click at a time. Step up. And join us in spreading hope to abortion-minded women and transforming lives. Choose Life Marketing, where marketing meets compassion.
0: Dear Jane, the life-giving podcast.
1: And we're back visiting with Leah Jacobson from the Guiding Star Project. We're talking about holistic healthcare for women and holistic feminism. Leah, when we hear from "quote" "unquote" renowned feminists today, it seems the message is so limiting. Well, you can't do this if you have a baby. You you can't have a child in a career. You can't be pregnant and a good employee on and on and on. How is that an empowering message to women to say, "Well, you can only do so much?"
0: Well, first of all, you have to know and recognize that the abortion industry and much of women's healthcare, much of what women receive through the vehicle of healthcare, is based on a deep shame. There is so much shame that we believe is just inherent to every woman, like with how she deals with her body. Like we assume that women are going to be ashamed and embarrassed of, of their body and how it works and that it's the whole system is just built upon a worldview that women want to be rescued from their bodies. Um, And so we've continued that narrative, you know, we've applied it into the workforce and into the school everywhere, education everywhere to say, well, you shouldn't have to show up there in this this condition or in this way that's very shameful. Like we just keep piling on, you should be ashamed, you should be hiding this, you should not let people know this. And so it is feminism and the fact that it has been complicit with that, That is just a travesty to me. That is like the height of misogyny. You know, the definition of hatred for women, for women, you know, misogyny that really, truly is misogyny um, veiled as women's empowerment, veiled as feminism, but it's telling women. Yeah, there's, there's nothing good about this. Be embarrassed. You know, we tell our little girls this right when they get their very first period, it's hush, hush. It's be very quiet, hide it. Don't talk about it when really there is nothing to be embarrassed of. There's no reason a little girl should not be able to say, I have my period. I don't really feel like going swimming or whatever. But instead it's always hidden. It's always just whispered and so shameful. And that creates the culture where an unplanned pregnancy, where something out of the norm becomes very shameful because I should have known better or I'm just not smart enough or I'm stupid or it's all of this negative reinforcing talk of, you know, I'm I'm not good. I should be ashamed.
1: That just blows my mind. Again, you know, as a middle-aged dude, I'm hearing you talk about how amazing a woman's body is and its capabilities. And I'm like, yep, I'm, I'm on board, which then begs the question, what role can men play to help women through uh, this shame that they're feeling?
0: That is such a perfect question. I'm so glad you asked it because I'm saying women's bodies are so amazing, but I've done a lot of work and I work in the field of women's healthcare and I have a master's in women's health and wellness. And it's still sometimes hard, you know, for me to even work through my own like inherent wounds that we all, it is a collective wound that all women in our culture carry. Our culture has been telling us since the moment we came into this world that we're disadvantaged because we're women. And so we don't know how amazing we are. We don't know it. And so it's every man's job to dispel that lie, to say, there's nothing wrong with you. Like you are good. Like you're equal to me, not because you can perform and do the same things I can do. You're equal to me just because you exist. Like just because you're here, you're good. And that has been missing. Women have felt a need to prove ourselves, to say anything you can do, I can do too, or I can do it better. And it's just been this really sad, broken battle of the sexes for so long. I mean, if you want to get philosophical or theological about it, it goes back to the garden. It's the original sin. It's the fall. It's that separation between man and woman and that I need to protect myself from you because you're going to hurt me. Um, But every man needs to see that woman is wounded and not use that wound against her because that has happened over and over again, where we're man for his own selfish inclinations um benefits from women's uh, woundedness, from our lack of knowledge, from our shame. we are willing to trade parts of ourself for affirmation. We are willing to trade, you know, parts of our um, you know, our 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 sexuality, our our whatever, our beauty, however, we're going to gain that sort of acceptance, we give it because we're so we we're so needing to hear that we're good and that we're enough.
1: What I'm hearing you say, you you mentioned yourself um and the struggles that you have it's not just uh 20 year old women it's not just young girls uh mm-hmm. i mean you're making me think of my wife and i need to go to her as soon as we're done here and affirm her and <laughs> tell her how awesome she is i guess it's not limited to a certain age bracket
0: not at all and actually when i wrote my book two years ago holistic feminism i thought i was writing my book to like 20 20 year old women 20 to 30 year old women that's why i thought i was writing this book to. The first probably half a dozen emails and letters that I got were all from women 65 and older. It was older women who were processing, you know, I really wish somebody would have told me this when I was this age. Like, these are the decisions that this kind of shame, that not feeling confident in my body, not understanding, you know, my goodness, these are the decisions that it led me to and I regret them and I wish I had lived my life differently. And those were heartbreaking, but they were also... um. I felt good though, still in these conversations with these women, because they took something from my book and from like this movement that we're growing that it's never too late to change it for the next generation. Like it's your job now as a, as a grandmother, as a respected female figure in your family to tell the truth to your daughters, to your granddaughters, to young women, to help remove that shame that you carried And telling your story is incredibly important. So, uh, it's all women. And and I think some of the older women right now have gone through the most trauma at the hands of healthcare. They've lived through some of the worst atrocities against just female identity. When we look at, you know, birthing practices in the 1950s and 60s and horrible stuff, horrible stuff was done to women. And we were just told this is what's best for you.
1: You know, you said uh, something, and I keep thinking of the term holistic feminism. And you had a term earlier that has always been interesting to me. You know, you talk about women who want to prove anything you can do, I can do. Um, mm. what, what makes women amazing is the stuff that they can do that a man can't do. Yeah. I mean, to me, that's what's so cool. Uh, and, and man, that's just lost uh, yeah. completely in our in our society.
0: Well, in, in the state, it's a lie because there's stuff that men can do that women can never do either. And the fact that we just keep wanting to infringe into each other's spaces. And we're seeing so much of that right now. So much of this confusion of like these stereotypical male, female spaces and us just kind of pushing into them and saying, I can come in here too. Even as you know, obvious as physical bathrooms and locker rooms. I mean, we've been dealing with that right now of like your spaces are not unique to you. But really there are things that female bodies can do, that male bodies can do, that the other cannot. And that is nothing to diminish the importance and the beauty of the other. But we've had that sort of competition and mindset of your accomplishment diminishes mine. And that is just a, a really terrible legacy to hand on to our children when we're giving our daughters girl power veiled as you can do anything a boy can do that's just horrible instead of girl power here's what makes you unique from boys and here's what they can't do that you
2: can right.
1: yeah. yeah you mentioned sort of some of the ridiculous um, debates and conversations that we're having in our society today we don't know what a woman is and nobody wants to go there um mm-hmm. what, what do you think the law if we could continue down this road I mean you talked about you've talked about, how women have been treated in their, you know, just in society and, and physically and what they've been led to believe about their bodies. Well, what if happens if we continue to go down this road now uh, uh, that, that we're on? I mean, what do you foresee the challenges being 20 years from now for women?
0: I mean, I think we're kind of hitting a point of mass chaos is beginning. (laughs) We're beginning to see just the actual like ramifications of this worldview in in daily life. I mean, our laws are being challenged. Our stereotypes are being challenged. Our comfort are are all these different things that have kept our society kind of in order have been very much challenged in the last five to 10 years. Another 20 years of this, and we're going to have to create a new system of laws to hold this kind of new worldview in place. Um, and, and that's not a good thing when we think about that. To, re- to hold something very unnatural in place is going to require a lot of effort and a lot of policing. It's going to require a lot of oversight and enforcement to keep unnatural um, ideas as the norm. Yeah. So let's talk
1: about the Guiding Star Project specifically. What do you all do? And what do you hope, what kind of impact do you hope to make in the next several years?
0: Yeah. So we've had a two-part mission kind of from day one, because we recognized, you know, I recognized through my work that the worldview around women's healthcare is completely messed up. And it's going to continue to push us down this road of detachment from our natural bodies, you know, just this idea that we should be suppressing ourselves. So the first part of our, our mission has always been to correct that worldview. And so writing, speaking, publishing, really imp- impacting culture, you know, in any way that we can uh, through worldview promotion. And then the second part of this mission is to actually provide the physical care to women that they deserve. And so that we do through our centers, our network of centers. Currently, we have eight centers in six states that provide healthcare services to women that are in line with their natural fertility, childbirth, and breastfeeding abilities, and that acknowledge women as, uh, you know, keepers of relationship and family, so family life support as well. Um, So our goal really is that this physical network of centers has to spread. When we look at the impact of other organizations and this alternative worldview that they hold, they're all over, you know, Mm -hmm. hundreds of locations across the country, thousands of locations across the country. And so our goal modestly in the next 10 years is we'd like to see at least one guiding star in every state So we'd like to see 50 centers in the next 10 years uh, with, you know, room for that to be much larger. We'd love to see um, our goal surpassed. So that's the work that we do is to open up physical locations to provide this care. Um, We're in the process of exploring whether we can expand our virtual reach with this care, whether we can provide this type of healthcare virtually to women where we don't have centers because every woman deserves a doctor, a midwife, a doula, a lactation consultant who sees her and doesn't see her body as the barrier to her success. Dear Jane, the life-giving podcast.
1: My thanks again to Leah Jacobson. If you want to learn more about holistic women's health care and what we talked about today, you can visit guidingstarproject.com. Be sure to join us next time when we visit with one of the most influential and controversial leaders in the pro-life movement, Father Frank Pavone. Dear Jane is a production of the Choose Life Coalition. Don't forget to subscribe so you can know when new episodes are available. Our producer is Kate Yule. Our editor is Jacob McCormick. I'm Scott Baker. Thank you for listening to Dear Jane.